0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to FOMO Sapiens, the show for people who don't just follow the crowd, but instead take their own path to success in business and life. I'm your host, Patrick J. McGinnis, venture capitalist by day, author and podcaster by night, and FOMO Sapiens 24 7. Now, today, you know, the theme of this season, as you well know, is how to crush it without getting crushed. And so part of doing that is building businesses that give that to other people, right? So if you're a grinder, And you build a company where you're grinding and everybody's grinding and, you know, it's just a total sort of like a sweatshop, which obviously working in a real sweatshop is even worse. But I'm telling you, when you work at one of these places that just grinds you down, it is emotionally and physically a disaster and people crash. So you don't want to do that. You don't want to. What would like? Why would you want to build a business like that? And so my guest today, we're going to talk about, first of all, their journey because they, they're the founders of an incredible company called The Skim, which is this new media company that is focused on millennial women. But lots of people read it. I, I've been tracking them for years, and they have built a really incredible business. We're going to talk about their emphasis on creating policies that are humane. So some good ideas there. Now, my guests are Carly Zakin and Danielle Weisberg, who are the co-founders and co-CEOs of The Skim. Now, if you haven't heard of The Skim, it's a digital media company dedicated to succinctly giving women the information they need to make confident decisions and helping them to live smarter. The former news producers disrupted the media landscape a decade ago with the launch of The Skim, and they built a brand that continues to be a trusted source for a community of millions. Now, their first book, How to Skim Your Life, was released in 2019 and debuted at number one on the New York Times bestseller list. Impressive. Carly and Danielle have been featured on a number of prominent lists, including Forbes' 30 Under 30 in Media, Vanity Fair is the next establishment, Fortune's 40 Under 40, Variety's Power of Women, and Adweek's Young Influentials. And they've gotten lots of awards, including the Goldman Sachs Builders and Innovators Summit, where they were among the 100 most intriguing entrepreneurs and Carly is a Henry Crown Fellow at the Aspen Institute, so they're just very impressive. And what I love about these two, so I had heard about them, but I didn't know them. And what I love about them is we got on this, we got on the Zoom. It's not a Zoom, but you know, it's a video recording thing that's called Squadcast, actually. And they're so fun; they're super fun. You'll see, they have just great personality. They have what we like to call Riz, and so I just loved. The convo with them. And it made me feel just like I get why they're successful. You know, some of those people, you meet them and you're just like, okay, now I get it. This is why they're successful because they've got it all. They have it all. They're smart. They're cool. They're funny. They're down to earth. They're just great people. Okay. So that is what we're going to talk about. Share this episode, please. That's my small ask this week. Share it with somebody who would enjoy it. Ask them to subscribe to the show. I would really love to get this in the hands of somebody who's gonna dig this episode. Maybe somebody who loves the skim. I'm sure you know somebody. They've got like a ton of followers. Send it to them. And if you are listening, if this was sent to you by your friend or loved one, please check out some more episodes. You're gonna love it. All right, and now onto the interview. As you know, I like to start every interview with the same question, and the question is this. What is a formative decision you've had to make to get to where you are today? And I started it with Danielle.
1: I would say the most impactful, formative decision to get where we are today was the decision to quit our jobs uh, when we were 25 and 26 years old. And in preparing for this podcast, we knew we were going to get asked that. And I think, you know, what surprises people is 11 years into running a company that we started, thinking about that moment of quitting our jobs still makes me want to throw up. I think it was still the uh, one of the hardest things that I've done. Um, and I think there's a lot in that. We had grown up news geeks, um, Carly and I. We loved being in the news business. And, you know, it's, it's a hard business to get into. Uh, you have to do all of the quote unquote right things. Um, you've got to work hard in school, go to a school that allows you to kind of get the foot in the door for an internship, work really hard at that internship. Um, I worked in breaking news, so it was crazy hours and you get there and Carly and I both experienced this as being products of graduating college and in like the great recession. So we graduated in 2008, um, which was like this weird thing that if you were uh, in these more like traditional paths, right, like banking or law, um, a lot of our friends that were doing that got laid off very quickly. The great thing about being in media, especially when there's a downturn, is that you don't get paid a lot, period. So you're very cheap, (laughs) labor. Not a lot to lose. Yeah, not a lot to lose. Um, you know, like no benefits, very cheap labor. And we were very much, you know, eager to learn. And so in 2008, between 2008 and, and 2012, when we were working for NBC News, we soaked up everything that we could. Um, and what happened was we got to go really far, really fast in terms of exposure, in terms of experiences, in terms of building a network. Um, and that was fantastic. I, I think it is, you know, I credit that experience with giving me professionalism, giving me the tools that I needed to um, understand my trade uh, as, as journalists, and also, I, I think, exposure to the challenges in the industry. Um, and that's really, you know, what we saw. So we were roommates in, in a very small apartment in New York and we would come home to each other every day. Um, and I think as, as roommates who were working, you know, for the same company in, in different parts of news, we would see the same things, which was an industry that was being forced to change um, because of, of digital trends. And also an industry that really tended to attract older people and older viewers. And so here we were, like, being very out of place, being 20-somethings who were obsessed with news, loved kind of like this old-school vibe of starting your day, reading a paper, watching 60 Minutes, you know, watching Meet the Press, and realizing that our friends didn't do that. And it wasn't because they weren't interested. It wasn't because they didn't care. It was because you, I think all of us, it's quaint when we think about it, that we thought like 2012 was kind of like the heyday of so much information. You get up and your your feed is overloaded. And um, now that seems like it, it was like cute that we thought that. Um, but we felt like what was missing was a focus on our demographic that we are part of, which is women who are leading in so many different ways. They've, they've stepped into even more power than, than when we started 11 years ago and they didn't have a source of information that they trusted or that fit into their routines. And we were like, well, they're an advertiser's dream. They're controlling, householding, purchasing decisions and and spending decisions. And there's nothing out there. Like that just doesn't make sense. Um, so I think we saw the void in the market. We saw, uh, an opportunity. We had enough of the right training. And I think we were at the perfect age. And I say that because I don't think there's ever a right time to start something. I say it because we didn't know how hard it would be. And I think when you're in your mid twenties, you kind of have that mix of like bravado and naivete. To be like, well, it'll be hard, but I'll take it on. You know, I can do it. And we also only had to take care of ourselves. We didn't have families. We needed to pay our rent. We needed to, you know, like uh, sustain ourselves. Um, but it was, I, th- I think we knew there would never be a time where it got easier. Um, so the most formative decision that we made to get us here today was quitting our jobs that we had worked so hard to get and taking this huge leap to start something from our living room couch.
0: Yeah. And you kind of had that sweet spot because as I think about, you know, the, the entrepreneurial journey, you had experience that was relevant, which by the way, everybody, you know, people poop with that a little bit, but it's like, you've worked in a place where excellence is demanded and you know what that looks like. You had a, a business partner, which is huge. And you knew that you could spend crazy amounts of time together without... It's really about me. Thank you for breaking that up.
2: And we'll get (laughs) to you. I was going to say, like, thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, (laughs) I I see the smile on your face.
0: And then you have uh, this this big opportunity, and and then you have the kind of like the trade off that one has to make, or the or the opportunity cost is it's affordable at that point in your life, and so it's a great point in which to do something. FOMO. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Your business gets to a certain size and the cracks start to emerge. Things you used to do in a day are taking a week. You don't have one source of truth. If this is you, you should know these three numbers. 37,000, 1. 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25, NetSuite turns 25 this year, happy birthday. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close the books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind, so you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs. Those are key performance indicators in one efficient system. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know the show is all about making better decisions. And with this product, you can make better decisions because you have all the information you need right in one place. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com FOMO. That's netsweet.com slash FOMO to get your own KPI checklist. Because you know what? KPIs are better than ice cream. Netsweet.com slash FOMO. FOMO. Carly, you know, I, I have spent my summer, I will admit this, re watching The Newsroom, you oh know, that gosh. show, of which course. by the way, everybody, and it's crazy. I've been posting about it. Like Allison Pill has been looking at my Instagram stories, which I'm feeling really good about. Maggie Jordan.
2: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Season two had that unfortunate haircut, but she <laughs> came back in season three with better hair.
1: I don't know if I got past season 2, but I don't, I don't think I got know. past season 2 either. Uh, Project that, Genoa.
0: It is a it's a morass. It's, a, there's a lot of people probably didn't make it through.
1: But when <laughs> they were uh doing research for it before the show, they were actually following people that we worked with.
0: Well, I believe it because to your point, the show totally is it's it's the the hero of the show are the older people who are both white whose world vision is being imposed upon, and which by the way, like that's the way the news was. You see this opportunity, you come in with a whole different voice. You're you're, uh, addressing women, millennial women. That was 2012, 2013, back when that show was made, right? So now, like 10 years later, the world is completely different. And like, I just, I'm curious, like, you know, how have you evolved your model for to meet the needs because you have the interesting dynamic i was thinking about this this morning it's like you have your existing customer the one who started with you who is aged and is in a different place in her life but then you also like have a totally new generation who's totally different like how do you do you even address them or you just stick to your I'm sure you do like how does how's it all played on carly since you guys launched this business you know at the inception
2: that's a great question so I think in a few ways, I think one, you know, quite honestly, like we, like, and I say we, like Danielle and I, like we and the company have grown up with that initial audience. We entered life stages with her. We're entering life stages with her. So very organically, a lot of what the skim has taken on, um, Speaks, you know once again to kind of why we how we started like knowing what our friends needed and um knowing that we could fix it and so it's why we expanded into personal finance it's why we expanded into health it's why we're taking on more and more around your family and purchasing decisions um because the things that are on our minds have changed and continue to evolve and will continue to do so so we're very proud of the fact that, like, we have grown up with this audience. We also get asked a lot, you know, why this audience? My husband reads The Skim, or my older sister reads The Skim, or my younger sister reads The Skim, and, you know, why not them? And we always, like, laugh because we're like, this should be the question, actually, for every single business out there today. This has nothing to do with The Skim this demographic of women of millennial women are the single most important demographic to our economy she is earning the paycheck she controls 95 percent of all household spending she's um influencing over 3.7 trillion dollars annually like she is the most important customer anyone could be reaching no matter what they do so from a business sense That is why we have followed her. But to your point, there is a new generation. Um, and when we, you know, when, when we graduate college, like the thing that you got or did to feel like an adult at the time was you got like a subscription to the journal or to the times or whatever it was. And today, obviously like, you know, it's not the same, same thing, same routine. And what we routinely hear is that, uh, the skim is like the must have must stop for when you enter into kind of that adulthood phase. And that, that is, you know, so wonderful for us to hear um, and, and incredibly gratifying, but also I think really seeks to like, we help this generation of women make decisions in her life. And when, as you, as you age into what those decisions might be, like the skim is for you And, and that's really exciting to have a new generation with us.
0: How do you make sure, I mean, the thing that you see is you founders who start a company, they know the customer because they are the customer. And then 10 years later, they, you know, it's not, it's just a, they, they, it's not that like you want to become irrelevant or not know how to talk to new customers, but you just, you kind of, you live in your world and you are your yeah. person. How do you keep yourself from becoming like, I hate to, you know, a dinosaur as it were, because I noticed this with a lot of people I know you live in a community with certain people, blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden your worldview is shaped by the context you have and the media you consume. And even though you're, you don't, you're not trying to, you just sort of lose connection and then organizations make policies or do things that like alienate the, the other folks that are, could be potential customers. So like, how do you avoid that?
1: I don't think there's an easy answer. I think I think it's a few different things. The first is one of the biggest things that we did when we started the company was make the decision that, you know, the Skims voice, which is a, a huge driver to our, our audience and our stickiness was not Carly's voice. It wasn't my voice. It was, you know, a persona, a brand ethos that we created together. And that brand has evolved over time. Um, and it's really important that we continue to um, bring people in who add and evolve that voice. Um and I think that took a lot of of maturity on our part. I think our view on it really changed. Um I think in the beginning, it was like scary. And now it's a necessity to have people who are are coming in to drive change, to to make sure that there is relevancy. Um, and resonance with audiences. And part of that is how we sound. And the other part is what we talk about. Um, and I think what we talk about has definitely evolved and aged um, accordingly as the pressures uh, that our audience faces has grown. Um, and I think that's where Carly and I stay with with the like key consumer that we started with. Like that is where we are. We are kind of like mapping that journey. Um, but the voice needs to make sure that we're reaching a a wider part of our addressable target audience. Um, the other thing I would say is, you know, it was funny. One of our, uh, our early investors, um, is someone who uh, Alan Patrickoff um, mm-hmm. at, at Greycroft. And I think Carly and I talk a lot about um, he's uh, definitely wiser and, and older. And he is also a frequent first adopter of trying things that are out there of um, being the first to call someone and say, like, have you heard about this? What do you think? And Carly and I often talk about, um, how important that is, where when we feel ourselves like being stuck or like rolling our eyes at something and being like, can you believe there's another platform out there? Um, that that is not really the way that you grow as entrepreneurs. Um, and so I think we've had role models who, the reason why they've, they've created such like venerable reputations and careers is because they are the ones to always have this hunger and curiosity, about new things um, instead of kind of shying away from it and and staying in
0: place. I love that you mentioned Alan Yeah, because the cool thing for folks that don't know him, you can look him up. He's 88 years old. You can still see him at all the tech events, speaking on panels. He's like, on top of all the, I mean, he probably is like coding his own Gen AI bot right now.
2: Well, not only that, like he ran the New York City Marathon last year. He, I just had breakfast with him and he was like, I'm not going to go to Burning Man this year, I think. Wow. And I was like, same, same. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he's, it's just, it's amazing. Um, and, and it's all, I totally agree with what Danielle just said. It's, you know, it, it, he keeps himself young. He keeps himself kind of where the pulse of things
0: are. FOMO. FOMO. I was on your Instagram this morning, which Uh-oh. everybody should go check out at the Skim, and you're talking on your Instagram about your, you know, the Skim's childcare benefits and and sort of how you um, provide relevant benefits for the folks that work for your organization. And I have to imagine, based on <laughs> based on my research, that it has some relation to a new campaign that you're running, which is called "Show Us Your Childcare." And so, Carly. Talk about that campaign and what you are, you know, what are you driving at with, with that and how the skim is living up to the, the campaign itself?
2: Well, you imagined correctly. Um, so, so smart. <laughs> you're so smart. You should have a podcast. Oh. Uh, so, we, uh, we do have a campaign called Show Us Your Child Care, and um, we're doing that in partnership with Moms First. Um, but, Show Us Your Child Care actually is kind of our, our second campaign of awareness that we actually started with Show Us Your Leave, uh, which was really around, um, you know, again, when we talk about growing with our audience and seeing where she is and meeting her where she is. Um, Show Us Your Leave was actually born out of the fact that our audience was having kids. And, you know, both political parties and Washington has simply just failed our country in providing the support needed um, for families in the workplace. Um, And so, you know, very organically when the Build Back Better bill, can't say that, Build Back Better bill basically was going to, you know, once again, not really provide this country with what women in particular need. Um, we posted organically, show us your leaves. show us what it looks like. We were overwhelmed by pictures and stories that honestly, I, I can't do them justice to even try to explain, but really the reality and the state of what the lack of paid family childcare looks like, in this country and it was everything from NICU nurses going back to work 10 days after giving birth themselves to literally women in labor on a contract like hooked up to a contraction monitor but trying to get emails in by midnight so that they'll qualify for leave so just these horrific stories That we then were like, okay, we can't just kind of wallow in the depressing facts of this. How do we turn this into action? And so we created Show Us Your Leave to actually be a database where we invited companies to say, here's our leave policy, very transparently. And that all lives on our website at theskim.com slash showusyourleave. Um, Over 600 companies, all of whom you have heard of, uh, now publicize what their benefits look like and in many cases change them. So this then evolved into, okay, you have the child, you bring that child home, however you started your family, but then you're going to go back to work. And what does your childcare support look like? And we know that this country, again, has failed families in providing childcare support. And I'll go back to what is the most important demographic to this economy? It is this generation of women. We cannot afford for her not to stay in the workforce. We cannot afford to have a declining birth rate, which we're starting to, um, because she is trying to make a choice. And so show us your childcare took the same ethos of how do we create a database and the tools for uh, companies to share what their childcare policies are and for employees to say, here's the tools I need to actually have the conversation with my boss to rally for childcare. So what are uh, your
0: policies, by the way? I mean, this yeah, is, so, let's put it out there.
2: So we have a few and I think, you know, one is that like, we constantly are evolving our policies. We've evolved them a lot through these campaigns by learning what other people are doing. Um, So, you know, I think there's a few ways that we've really worked to support our our employees. Um, In particular, we got rid of maternity leave versus paternity leave. Um, It's paid family leave, 18 weeks, no matter whether you're the quote-unquote primary parent caregiver or not. Uh, We don't use that terminology anymore. Mm. We have unlimited vacation days at the SCIM. Um, We've evolved a lot of our benefits Healthcare benefits to um, ensure that we have good coverage for all of these. And for childcare, we actually work with an amazing company called Vivi, um, which uh, offers incredible childcare um, benefits and support. And um, it's just one of many ways that we really try to create a workplace that, you know, our workplace is 85%, over 85% women who are in the, really their childbearing years and have families. Um, And it's how we've been able to grow with them. Um, And so we, we say that, we say all of this because this is the reality of what the workforce today looks like. And when we talk about everybody has to go back to work five days a week and we talk about, you know, also then supporting women and women of color and diversified leadership, like your policies have to match that. And this is an example of where we all need to band together to do so. And, you know, talking to you today, end of August, we are a little uh, over a month away from was really a a very scary cliff that our country is facing that's not really getting talked about, which is that a third of the benefits that were offered to families um, during, you know, as a result of the pandemic in in terms of childcare support are about to expire, and we're not talking about this. And what that means is you're going to have families, predominantly women, who are going to have to make the choice of, well, how am I going to pay for childcare? Maybe I'm going to have to stay home. And we cannot afford to have this as a country.
0: Have you uh, have you uh, been able to look at, for example, we had a guest on the show, Zeynep Tan, who's a professor at MIT. I don't know if you've come across her work. No. She runs the Good Jobs Institute and she's a operations professor. So she's, you know, she was actually my, my professor back in business school and, and, um, she's very hard. I was not a good student in that class. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of details, but anyway, what she has found is that there's this conventional wisdom that, you know, cutting costs and firing people and lower wages makes companies more profitable. But of course, when you look into it, if you offer people a better wage, they do they do better, there's less turnover, the company's more profitable. So, like there is this, this conventional thinking that is very pernicious that somehow we have to not offer people basic things they need in their lives. And that somehow that's not the realm of business. But w- what I'm hearing here, and and I'd love your thoughts on this, you know, Danielle, is is when you look at these policies, they're not just you're not just being nice. I mean, you're doing the right thing. And there is like a, there is an element of like serving your stakeholders that we should all acknowledge, but it's also sensible business policy, is it not?
1: Yeah. So there's, you know, we say a lot, like I, Carly and I personally believe that everyone should have a desire to back women because we're all good people and, you know, all of the things that go into being like an empathetic and caring society that wants to help each other. But I don't actually need people to believe that. Like, that would be great. If they just wanted to focus on how to build better businesses, it all comes back to the same thing. You know that women make excellent managers. They create more efficient businesses. Um, They drive better results over the long term. And we also know at the same time that um, we need nice things like social security. We need nice things like having enough people in the workforce to be able to satisfy all the things that we want to need as a society. And to do that, you need to make sure that people can actually show up and come to work. And that is where childcare becomes a necessity. And um, I also think that. Uh, more and more as we talk about, um, how to, the, the role of, and, and when I say, you know, as we talk about, I think in the, in the political sphere, um, there's, you know, so much division in, in every single way. And, and because of that, you know, I don't think that it's, it, it's worth talking about like Republicans think this and Democrats think that I think that's like very quaint. Mm-hmm. Um, But I do feel like there is a lot of discussion about the role of government. And that discussion can and will play out for a very long time. In the meantime, if we are not getting these policies through government, which again, like you can debate, but whether or not that's the right decision, we're not getting them. Um, So I think that there is then a um, default for the private sector to create it for ourselves because we need things like family leave to get people in the workforce. We need things like affordable childcare to be able to sustain the type of workforce that we need. So again, it all goes back to, um, as the society that I hope that we have one day, of course I want people to care and look at this as, you know, a a way to just support each other, but I we don't actually need that. The economic argument stands
0: alone. All right. Do you guys want to try something new with me today? Yeah. Yeah. You've inspired think- me. I'm just sitting here and I'm like, oh, can I have them on every I seriously, I've been enjoying this so much. Yeah. And so you've inspired me to try something new, which okay. may become regular, okay. which is uh, a little lightning round to end the interview. Oh, oh, oh.
2: we love okay. a lightning round.
0: Yeah I I mean like I've never done this you before. should
2: call it the Carly Danielle round uh, the Carly
0: Danielle yeah. round?
2: Yeah the yeah skim
0: round the sk- if I do the skim TM round do I have to pay you royalties? That's the yes. question. Yes. Okay yeah. A money? lot. what Very if it's just one M <laughs> 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 All right. So uh it's gonna be three questions. The first will be an open ended but okay. you know brevity is always appreciated. Um, just because it's lightning round, so you know lightning must be. Mm-hmm. And it's the second. uh, the, the the second and the third are going to be a yes no. Are we ready okay. to go?
2: Ready. All right,
0: we'll start. Who wants to go first? Actually, I'll go first. Okay, we'll do like so. We'll do Carly and Danielle each one. Okay, got it. Here we go. Ready. First question: Your uh, most impactful advice on entrepreneurship.
2: Oh damn! I shouldn't have gone first.
0: Sorry, I know
2: it's uh, hard. Be really, I mean, it sounds cliche, but be so comfortable and almost immune to the word no. The more immune you are to the word no,
1: the better off you're going to be. All right. Danielle? It's similar. My mom would tell me all the time growing up, uh, the worst thing someone can say is no. And like, that's really not that bad. Uh, and I, I think that is true. You're going to hear it. If you are at all going to be successful, you're going to hear the word no. Uh, to the point where it loses meaning.
0: Okay. Number two, we jump in the, um, the space machine or the time machine. We're five years into the future. Yes. No question. Will gen AI, gen AI have radically disrupted your business model? Yes. Yes. Okay. And number three, you are co-CEOs of your company. Do you think that this is a solution or a, an arrangement that most companies could successfully pull off? No, no. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> So good. All right.
1: But I feel like there's a lot more I want to say on that one. You're going to have to have a Okay, snack. well, do you
0: want to unpack that? Because it is a spicy way yeah. to end the combo. Yeah, because okay, I don't
1: want to give the wrong yeah. impression. No, no, I no. think <laughs> the reason why why we don't want to give the wrong impression is I think we are very, yeah. very focused on making sure that we are, are creating and, and adding to basically, being visible as women who are executives and CEOs and founders and also women who have had families. And I don't want being co-CEos to look at as a solution on uh, family leave, which I think we we have heard, which I think is is ridiculous and and not sustainable. So I want to shoot that down. Um, Carly, you want to talk about the other shorts of it.
2: The other part is that we actually really like each other. Yeah, uh, no, but uh, I think, we we get asked all the time, like, you know, I want to start a business with my friend. And I'm like, not a good idea. Like, if you look at every example out there, it never ends well. For whatever reason, and for a lot of work, like, it really works for us. And we know we have like a magic to how we work together and how we've created this company. But it's it's not something that I think is easily easily replicable. And I think um, we're really aware of that. And so while it really works for us and it really works for the skim, um, and I think we're the exception to many rules, um, I think it is really hard to to replicate. And you know our our best advice is like what a, what a lawyer once said to us in 2012 before we started. Sit down, have a bottle of wine together, and talk about every horrible thing you think could happen between the two of you. <laughs> and we did. And here we are.
0: Yeah. Have the convo when the stakes are low. Yeah. It's like if, if Eduardo and Mark had had the convo about yes. their ownership before, but like then all the Mark's like wiping out Eduardo and it was nasty. I mean,
2: yeah, then we the- wouldn't even have a good movie. We wouldn't even have mm-hmm. the Winklevive had they. I was going to
1: say <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, there'll be some
2: other
0: things. They'd just be account. anonymous crypto Yeah, dudes yeah. anonymous crypto
2: twins. We would just be like, <laughs> who are those crypto twins?
0: <laughs> All right. So if you want to learn more about The Skim, you go to theskim.com. You can learn more about and follow Carly and Danielle at Carly and Danielle, and you can listen to them on their podcast, which is excellent. Nine to five-ish. Carly, Zakin, and Danielle Weisberg, co-founders and co-CEOs of The Skim. Thank you so much for being here.
2: Thank you so
1: much. Thanks for having us.
0: FOMO. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on the web at FOMOSapiens.com or PatrickMcGinnis.com, where you can get all kinds of free resources to live a more decisive and entrepreneurial life. FOMO Sapiens is recorded in New York City.